Have you ever just wanted someone to walk alongside you as you do the thing? The thing that makes your heart come alive and leaves our world just a little bit more like Jesus than we found it. I'm a girl wildly passionate about cheering on my friends in the pursuit of making God known through their unique calling. So buckle up because I'll gather up my favorite seasoned and rising leaders in their fields to share inspirational stories, strategic advice, and hard-won wisdom. I'm your host, Rebecca Dotson-George, and welcome to the Do The Thing Movement Podcast. You're listening to episode 32 of the Do The Thing Movement podcast. The song in the background is called Yours by Katie Hurst. And if you have not checked out her music already, please go do so. And today we have Lisa Whittle on the podcast to talk about Jesus over everything. Lisa, if you are under a rock and are not familiar with her work and her ministry, is a speaker, a writer, co-founder of the Called Creatives community, founder of Ministry Strong, all the things. I love her so much. She's somebody who has really spoken into my life. I'm a member of her called Creatives Community, and her voice is one that has just really marked me. And this conversation was just really, really special for me to get to talk about her book, Jesus Over Everything, that I have read. I have led a Bible study of the Bible study version of the book, and I've just fallen in love with it. And I think you are going to do the same as you listen to her talk about her new book, Jesus over everything. Let me introduce you to my new friend, Lisa Whittle. Okay, Lisa Whittle, I am so excited to have you on the show today. So for several reasons, none of which you probably know, one of them we just talked about. So you recently released a book called Jesus over everything, which I have read the book. I just finished taking my small group through the Bible study and it's slowly making its way around our church, which is so fun. And I love, so another group has started doing it, which is awesome. Um, so that's why we're here today is to talk about that, but also, um, fun Enneagram fact, you are an Enneagram eight, which my husband is an eight. And I think that's one of the reasons why I always resonate with your voice and reading your writing and hearing you speak. I think just because you speak into truth in a way that's similar to someone I love very much. So I, I know I love that about you. And, um, and also I just want to say for listeners, well, first of all, I want you to hear this, but then I want our listeners to hear this as well, that you just, in the last several months, you are somebody that has just began to really speak into, into me. You have, you've marked me, you've marked my ministry. I am a member of your called creatives community that you lead with Allie Worthington. And I just want to, I want to honor you for the work that you're doing. And just want to say, it's one of the things that's really just helped me so much this year. And so in a week that probably feels really heavy for a lot of us. And it's, I know it's been a hard week for me. I know it's been a hard week for you as well. I just want to, I just want to honor you. And I'm just excited to talk today. Gosh, that means a lot. And I have to say, um, this is a thrill for me. I love, well, I love talking with women who are doing things right that are, and we're all doing things, but I love talking with women that are doing things that are, um, similar to my heart that, you know, are out there and active and also 
I, I feel for you because you have a husband who is an eight immigrant. <laughs> um, that leads me to wonder what your number is. I'm a three. Okay. So, um, I'm always, a, I'm always attracted to friends that are my husband's number as well. He's a seven. So people that are real fun and you know, whatever I'm attracted to that, even though that's not my band. Right. So right. I get that, but no, this is a, this is a great time and I appreciate you, um, your words and I don't take them lightly and you being a part of called creatives is awesome. And also just, it means a lot to me that, that your church is, is, being a part of this study because I poured my heart into it. And so they're are doing it. It means a lot. So thank you. Yeah. So I am just, I'm so excited to just jump right into so much. We just, we have so much ground that I want to cover today. So this is, this is so fun. So yeah, we're just going to jump in the deep end. So in the opening chapter of Jesus over everything or Joe, as, as we like to call it a lot of times, <laughs> you make a statement that just really stopped me dead in my tracks. You said, we beg God for help in the midst of a life with a mixed up order of priorities and wonder why things aren't working yet. When we put him over all things on our list, myriad complications fall away. And as soon as I read that statement, it reminded me of my favorite A.W. Tozer quote, which you reference throughout the book, which says, as God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are solved all at once. And so I'm curious and I'd like for you to tell listeners how you saw, you saw us overcomplicating our lives and God began to just reveal to you, like Lisa, this is something I want you to speak into for this book. Yeah. You know, Tozer said it much better than me, but I really, it was kind of this um, new awareness of, and it started with, me, the, the Lord making me aware of myself, which is really kind of where my writing starts. And I think a lot of folks are in that same boat of, you know, Lisa, you're asking me to fix things in your life that are out of order, out of the way that they should be. So it's not like I felt like God was saying, I, I can't or I won't answer your prayers it was more like, does this even make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to speak into reminding people uh, of Colossians 1, reminding people that he, as the creator of the system of order, created the way that our lives and this world would work and would work best and would work, period. And that the reason why things had gotten complicated was maybe not what we were assessing them to be, right? So we were grasping over here saying, well, if I could just gain control or if I could just make sense of it or whatever the case may be, um, because I believe that people generally believers want Jesus to be over everything in their life. I think we want that. Yeah. I don't think that we make the correlation that, and let me go back. And I think we also want our lives to be less complicated. So I think we want both of those things. I just don't think we connect the dots and we understand that our lives will be less complicated by a byproduct of putting Jesus first. 
And so I felt like the Lord wanted me to make that correlation for folks in a very plain spoken way, which is the only way I know to speak. I love it. Um, and just let them know your life can be less complicated. It will not ever be perfect, the side of heaven, but it can be less complicated if you will do this one thing, which is understand the priority order that works. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And it's, it's like anything, you know, when we step into sin, we don't wake up saying, you know what, today I want to overcomplicate my life, <laughs> you know, and I don't want to put Jesus first. I don't think any of us who are Bible believing Christian people would say that's our goal. And so, so many of these things that you unpack in the book are just things we stumble into and we get deep into before we really realize it, which, which I love. And so, so you open the book talking about what you call the land of the deadly overs, which I loved this part of the book. So there are things we easily do as we overcomplicate our lives. And as I read that part, there were several that I thought, oh, you know, I don't struggle with that one. Or, you know, you, you kind of read ahead and you look at the, the heading. So there's overdoing, over apologizing, over explaining, over analyzing, over indulging and overworking. And I knew overworking was one that was really going to hit home with me also back to I'm a three. <laughs> so that one really resonated and I love the, the things you shared there. However, I was surprised as I read over apologizing, I thought mm, I'm excited to read what she has to say, but I don't think I struggle there until I read what you said about over apologizing for your ministry. And mm -hmm. that resonated really deeply with me. I don't think, I had heard somebody put into words quite like you did and kind of how you shared that example. And then I, I realized that I at times have done that in my life. And to be honest, at times I have struggled with each and every one of these. And I think if we're honest, we all have. Yeah. I'm curious in this season, which one do you think maybe resonates with you the most and why? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, 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 I've struggled with all of them. It's why I could write about all of them, <laughs> clearly. Um, and I think, you know, there have been different times in my life I've struggled with more one more than others. I also think that as the Lord begins to do a healing work in maybe one area, then frustratingly so, because I'd love just to have everything wrapped up in a bow and be perfectly so that doesn't ever happen. Seems like then another area crops up that I, we need to pay attention to. Um, you know, I, and, and it, of course you've read the book. So you, you know, the ways that even I would have said that I didn't think I struggled with over explaining, but when I got my podcast, I realized how much I over explained because we had to edit out so much of me going around the circle to try to explain what I was trying to explain, which I could have explained a whole lot better. Right. So, um, I still struggle with over explaining. I, um, just this last week. Uh, I tried to over explain myself in at least two emails. One of which was, you know, after I apologized for being late to respond to an email, which was enough because I did, it did deserve an apology. I was behind in getting back and I should have paid more attention to it. But then I wrote this big qualifying statement afterwards, which was a whole over explanation. And the Lord really convicted me of, not doing that. So I still struggle with that one. Uh, overworking is always a struggle for me because 
I am in the peak of my production life. Uh, my kids are older. I have finally come to really know what my sweet spots are, which is the beauty of age, in my opinion. Um, and just a lot of running away from the Lord for a long time to really now be able to hone into where, where's the greatest use of my time's gift, time, gifts and talents. But after giving that excuse, let me just say, I struggled to over, with overworking some. So uh, I think overworking and overexplaining are two big ones still for me that I, that I work through. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree there. And I love how really this entire book you know, over and over again, I could just say it, it's so vulnerable and it comes so from a place of you're just fleshing out these personal experiences that you've had and relating them back to truth. And something that I hear you say a lot is you drink truth serum. And <laughs> I love, I love that about you. And I think back to my husband is an eight. I spend all day, every day, especially right now with an eight in my household. And so I, um, I just, I love that. So I think as, as listeners read the book, that's one common theme that you'll see over and over is it's just, it's just real, which, which is my jam. And so the rest of the book kind of after this opening chapter is laid out in, a, in just a beautiful way. And they talk through each chapter, something that we pursue in the Jesus over everything life and really kind of how that opposes something that we would pursue as we overcomplicate our lives. And um, boy, would I love to just have all day to just unpack all of these, but we won't for two reasons. One, we don't have time. And two, I think as a podcast host, you know, you're always balancing. I want to give listeners enough to really enjoy this conversation, but leave out enough where they got to go buy the book. Right. <laughs> and so, so I picked two of them and in the first one, so we're going to talk about real over pretty. Okay. You say the real us who God made us to be flaws, mistakes, bruises, and all is a mighty force for people to come to know him. Choosing real is choosing Jesus because it's trusting his creative instincts that we were made good. Wow. I just, I love those words. And, um, and that's so freeing. So Lisa, what are some reasons you think it's so hard for women to choose real over pretty in the day and age that we are now living in? Oh man, there's, you know, there's a multiple, there's multiple reasons. I think, um, let's just start with the most obvious, which the most obvious is we have society that combats the, the authentic message, right? So we have society that on one hand says, be, be yourself, but they actually don't mean it in many ways, right? Because we still get the airbrush, be yourself, but also buy this app that you can literally change your whole body size and face shape and, you know, whatever else may be. So, um, you know, that's, that's one thing. That's a, that's a really big force that is coming against us all the time. We're not dumb. We hear the messages. We see the messages. So that's combating the real. We don't feel we can measure up. Uh, society tells us we can't. We know that because the pretty people or the pretty appearance or the pretty pictures or whatever, that, that's rewarded. So we put two and two together. It just doesn't take much. Um, that's the obvious. But on another note, I think that it is the internal 
struggle and the internal dialogue that we have that says, if people really knew who we were, that it, it just wouldn't be enough, that they wouldn't accept us, that they wouldn't want us, that this one flaw or this secret will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like it, this, this will be too much. I can, I can give them this, but I can't give them this. And it's, it's just, you know, there's, there might be trust issues. There might be uh, guilt issues. There might be shame issues. It's, there's just a whole lot of inside stuff that we're dealing with that blocks us from being real. Uh, you know, I think that the solution is what the solution usually is, which is uh, this life was never meant to be about us. It was never meant to be about, you know, how much we could attract people to us. It was never about, never meant to be about, you know, how much we could perform. It was never meant to be about those things. And we're probably all going to die struggling with that. But at the same time, that doesn't mean it's not something that we pray through. We ask the Lord to change. And I just know with my own life, there's a whole lot of things that I didn't believe in my younger years God could actually ever work with. That, 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 that I was going to be the one hardest case because mm. I'm a really hard case. But I am here as a living testament to say, if he can change this this thing right here, this wild animal right here, he literally can change any of us. So there's a lot of work he can do to help us be real. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I love that chapter so much. I think just in the season of life that me and my husband are in. So we've been married just over a year. We celebrated our first anniversary last week and yes. yeah, we made it, made it through the first year of a three and an eight in one household, but we, we grew up, um, well, we grew up in ministry separately. So he and I met, um, when we both lived in Tennessee, he was our children's pastor at the church I was at. I taught a Sunday school class underneath his ministry. We were friends, never dated. He moved and we reconnected years later. And, um, now he is a lead pastor at a church down here. And, you know, I was doing ministry life separate from him and then we got married and combined lives. Right. And so, you know, we didn't get married and I didn't marry the youth pastor that then grew into the associate pastor, then lead pastor. Right. So, so when I moved and we got married, it was not only like new job, new town, new faith community, became a pastor's wife, all the things. Right. And so it's a lot of one time. It was a lot at one time. Yeah. <laughs> I took the stress inventory thing on our anniversary that kind of reveals like your level of stress based off your life experience that you've, you know, went through or whatever. And the scale, if you were above, I think like 300, it said you could expect a major health breakdown in the la in the next two years. And my score was 501. Oh, you need to take care of that. I know. I know. It was, it was a lot. It was a lot. But I think being a three, there's a lot of this that, um, just really resonated with me in a season where, you know, you're already bent towards achieving and then you're put in this place where, you know, you were a pastor's kid. You get it. Yeah. I don't have to explain any of this to you. Yeah. So, so that chapter really just 
really hit home with me. I loved it. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Let's see. Another chapter that I loved a lot was steady over hype. And I highlighted almost the entire chapter. The discussion we had in our small group was so great that night about that one. And I think a lot of what you shared resonated so much because it's in the context of the church and a lot of conversations I have with my husband all the time are things that you addressed in this chapter. You say the good side of no longer buying into the hype is you won't ask people to be Jesus or expect them not to be sinners. I think our small group camped out on that one statement for quite a long time. So I'm going to say it again. The good side of no longer buying into the hype is you won't ask people to be Jesus or expect them not to be sinners. And another one I love from that chapter is there's a difference between creatively presenting Jesus to reach the world and cleverly presenting Jesus to attract people to our talents. God has to be our compass on that, but don't think people won't sense the difference between the two. Jesus is what will save the world. He wants to use us, but he can do that without our creative input. And so in that message of steady over hype, how do you hope to encourage the church at large with this message, especially again in the day and age that we are in? Yeah. Boy, it is, this was one of the most, I felt like this was one of the most important chapters to write. Um, I was uh, very compelled by the whole idea um, that I've, that the Lord gave me uh, for this because it's, I really, really want, I love the church so much. It's the longest relationship I've had besides the one with Jesus. And I, I want us to get it because I feel like um, there's not only so much at stake. um, I think that Jesus is so much enough. uh, He just does not need all the things that we think that he needs. And in the process of thinking he needs our help so much, we kill ourselves in ministry to the point of burnout and dropout, and then we're not effective for the gospel. This is all great with Satan because then we just don't, don't, you know, we're just don't reach people. Now, look, I've been in ministry my whole life. I get the pressure. I get the pressure to have the jazziest church. I get the pressure to have the numbers because numbers equals tithing equals attraction equals, I I get the whole thing. I, I work with ministry folks all the time and I know, I know that it's all very real. Um, In fact, I don't know how anyone, I I don't want to try to not sell my book to someone listening. That's not in the church. Just, this is just this one chapter. But to me, I'm not sure that anyone would resonate nearly as much with this chapter if they weren't a part of the church system and didn't understand what happened. Ministry folks, this really, this chapter is really for them because the pressures are real, man. I get it. Um, But the help of God is also real. And the reality of the gospel being enough is also real. And it's either real enough for the real pressure or it's not. And I want us to really, honestly, Rebecca, I want us to really rest in the fact that if God has put us in a position, um, if we truly believe that and truly believe that he's enough 
to be big and a big enough message to save the world, then um, he doesn't need our talents to gloss him up. Yeah. If we want to throw a disco disco ball in church, it's fine. Someone was like, when I was writing the book, they're like, you mentioned disco ball twice or whatever. I'm like, well, because I'm just trying to give some kind of random example, like just so that nobody, you know, because whatever, I don't care, whatever name, whatever it is, you know. But the point is, if you want to do that, it's fine. But it's just a thing. You've just got to know that at some point, <laughs> If it becomes about the trappings and if it becomes about our talents, it will be a bottomless pit that we're never going to, it'll, it'll never be enough. Yeah. We'll have to have a bigger pony come in next time, yeah. or we'll have to hang on our heads next time, or we'll have to have seven people hanging by their feet or whatever. Like we'll have to shoot someone out from a cannon. And, and the thing is, all of it's unnecessary. And at the end of the day, we're just going to be exhausted. So I really want this to, again, be a relief to, to saying, please don't complicate things. This is making your ministry so complicated that you're to the point that you don't want to do ministry anymore. And I don't want that because we have way too many people that are, and, and uh, that are dropping out. And by the way, sometimes, or it would be Satan's MO to make our pastors and our ministry leaders believe that they will lose people. They will lose funding. Um, if they don't do thus and so, and it's not even a proven fact. It's just the, it's the terrorism in our brains of thinking that it will happen. Um, I'd like for some ministry folks to test it. Just see. Maybe you'll lose money. Maybe you'll lose people. But why not at least call his bluff and see if it happens? See if Jesus is enough. You know, it, that's not, I'm, I don't mean to dumb it down and make it simple, but I just believe that there has to be a better alternative to everybody burning out all the time. Preach. And I so wish my husband was home because I would call him in here and just let y'all like oh have this whole conversation together. <laughs> well, he'll listen to the podcast, but maybe he and I'll have to do one later together. Yes. Yes. So I told him after I read this chapter, I said, if, if you don't make it to this whole book, I just want you to read study over hype because there's so much of this that um, again, just resonates with his experience in ministry in the church and you know, one thing he'll say often is, you know, what you, what you get, what you get them with, you have to keep them with. Right. And right. a lot of times back to kind of what you're saying, if we lead with anything but the gospel, that's not lasting. Right. And even just in our own church, one thing that we, we have done that, that God just really put on my husband was, um, was prayer. That was an area of our church that he just really felt called to just lead in a couple of years ago. And um, our church, so we're in, we're in South Mississippi, right? It's very, very traditional. We're in the Bible Belt, Pastors of Baptist Church. So, you know, we typically have Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know, services. And God really put it on his heart to stop doing Sunday night, come and sit and, and soak and listen to me talk. And we're just going to pray. Yeah. Oh, it's perfect. That's it. We're just going to come and we're going to pray. And, you know, because of exactly what we're saying, I think, you know, it's easy to go into something like that already discouraged thinking, well, numbers are going to drop, you know, people aren't going to show up. And, and there, there have been seasons where 
that that has happened, but God has been so faithful and has answered so many prayers. And it's been so sweet to see the area of prayer grow deeper and deeper within our church through taking that step. And it, and it was huge. And I mean, you know how, you know how church is, you know how church people are and, and how change is in the context of the church. It was, it was a hard decision. And, um, but, but I was proud of him for, for being obedient there. And so, so yeah. I want to encourage you in that your numbers may drop, but here's the thing. This is why it's so important to know your why to know your, you know, to know the whole point, because you know that leading people into prayer is never going to be a mistake. It's never going to be wrong. So you can rely on and rest in that to know that even if the numbers drop, because you can't control other people, right? You can't control how they respond. Change is hard. You can't control it. But you know, I am pressing forward with the right thing. So I know that I can rest on that. And I will tell you, our church is, is, is a praying church. It's the same way. And if you ever need to believe that prayer is the right move, read the book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Cimbala, because that book will let you know that the strategy for every church, in my opinion, is prayer. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala. It will change your life. Oh, I'm so excited. I love a good recommendation. Good book recommendation. I'm excited about this question because I don't know how you're going to answer it, but I, um, I'm just excited because this whole book is so, is so raw and is so real. Like we've said, um, I'm curious, what was the hardest piece of it for you to write? How did God meet you in that? Wrap all that up in a bow for us. Hardest there were several hard things. One, the book itself was hard to write. I didn't really want to write it initially because how, how do you put Jesus over everything into words? Yeah. How do you write that in a book? Yeah. Uh, knowing that I am probably the biggest skeptic that walks into any room. And I know that folks immediately think that think like me who are skeptical think, Oh, Jesus over everything. That's a great bumper sticker. But what is, you know, what does that actually mean? So that's a very tall order to be able to put that into a practice that folks that that is, uh, let's say, you know, readable, you know, that's just, it's just tough. So that's number one. Uh, God met me there, but I didn't know when I, this is one book that I wasn't sure going into how it was going to turn out. What, 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 what that was going to look like. And I usually have a really good idea. This one I didn't. Um, in terms of once I got into it, the hardest chapter to write was chapter four, Holiness Over Freedom. It was the last chapter I wrote. I was very aware that it was going to tick off many folks yep. or had the potential to because um, people don't like you to mess with their freedom. And um, I get that. But I also wanted to make a compelling case for why it would complicate your life if you chose that over the better option of holiness, which in turn would give you the greatest measure of freedom you could ever find. I didn't know if I could say that well. And so I'm very, I felt very responsible to that message, but I didn't know if I could do it justice. Um, it's just a really big topic. Holiness is a big topic. 
uh, freedom is a big topic. So that was a hard one. Um, I did not want to, I wanted to over explain that one. I, what I opened with that chapter with, I wanted to over explain it. And in fact, the first version, I, I did over explain it. And I basically kept explaining what I was meaning because I didn't want anyone to misunderstand what I was meaning. And the Lord literally said to me, let it lie. Let it lie, let it lie. And so we, we, my editor, um, who has holds different beliefs than me, um, in this area, or I wouldn't say beliefs. She holds, she, she and I have different lifestyles in this area. We, um, she edited me and she said, I, I think this is fine the way it is. And I think you just let it be the way it is. And so, uh, we let it be, but it was, a, that was a hard chapter to write. So I just wanted to do it. Well, I always feel I don't worry about, I'm not worried about my reputation. What I worry about and what keeps me up at night is, was I responsible to the gospel? And that I literally, I can't tell you the knots that puts in my stomach. I, that, that keeps me up at night. As it should. So, yeah. yeah. So that, that, that I was worried about, but the whole book was hard to write, to be honest with you. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I loved, I loved that chapter. And the thing that sticks out the most to me when I think back on that one was the part where you talk about holiness only feels rigid or you may have used another word, but it only feels rigid when we're in this place of being self-centered or we're yeah. compromising things like that. And yeah, that's, that statement just really resonated with, with all of us. And, um, yeah, I can 100% see how that would be a difficult chapter to write. But you know what's interesting, Rebecca, is I thought it was going to be a lot, the reaction was going to be a lot worse than it was. And I, I, no one, I can literally say no one, no one in all of my interviews, no, no one in all of my, uh, I, that I have seen anywhere. Um, now, maybe I've gotten a bad review that I haven't seen, but no one has said one single word about it. Not mm. one. Hmm. So I just have to believe that the Lord had me write what he had me write. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I tried to get out of it too. So oh, I'm sure I'm sure <laughs> I get it. Oh man. So overall, when you hold the book in your hands, what would you say is your vision for your reader as they take this journey with you and read the book? I want them to make the correlation. I want them to understand that the way their life will be simplified is by putting Jesus first and that they could try other things if they want, but it won't work. Yeah. And I really want them to understand that the reason for that is because that was how it was set up. And the way it was set up to be is by a perfect God who knew this time in our lives and knew that we would need him to have the priority to work out the things in our life that we cannot work out ourselves. That has never changed. That will never change. And we just have to decide, do we want our life complicated year after year after year? Or do we want to say, you be in charge, lead me, please sort out the mess and um, then allow me to live in that freedom. And uh, it's, it's the better way. Yeah. 
That's beautiful. I love it. So I am super excited about this next question because you're a fellow podcast host, which I love. You have a show called Jesus Over Everything, which I'm a longtime listener of. And you ask a question of your guests that I love. So I'm going to turn the tables on you and ask your question, which is, Lisa, what is the last thing you'd say about Jesus if you could only say one more thing? You know, I always, I, I really, only one other person has asked me this and I've always wanted to be, I, it was like, every time I ask a guest this, I always wish someone else would ask me. But then when the one person asked me this before, I thought, this is an awful question to ask someone. It's so hard. Mm. I'm glad you asked me this today though, because I love this question, which is why I ask every guest. It simplifies everything and brings you back to what it really is. The last thing I would say about Jesus, if I could only say one last thing, there is nothing else. There is nothing else but Jesus Christ. Um, I am convinced that he is not only everything, but he is the only thing. Yeah. He is the only thing that has ever made sense he is the only thing that will ever make sense and he is the he's the only joy he's the only hope um he's the only life and i would would do and will put all my eggs in the one basket Mm. and bank everything on jesus yeah wow and the question that that i ask all of my guests at the end of every episode is Lisa, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh my gosh, this is huge. The best piece of advice I've ever been given. Mm. I think one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given is to take the word busy out of my vocabulary. Mm. That changed something for me because someone told me that it puts distance between you and someone else. Um, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's hard not to use that word. I I think, you know, I've been busy. I think we just rolls off our tongue, but I think it it automatically creates distance between us and someone else. Um, We're all busy. Everybody's busy in this day and time. Everybody's busy. There's not, you know, we might think we're busier than someone else or whatever, but it's all relative. You know, it's, so I think I've really made a conscious effort to take, the word busy out of my vocabulary. It is one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten. Mm, I love that. I don't know who originally said this, but somebody I either heard speak or somebody referenced this at this point, who knows said, start saying to yourself, this either is or isn't a priority for me in this season of my life. And that has been really powerful to me because if I say, you know, you know what, that's, that's not a priority for my, for me right now. And I feel a conviction behind that, or, you know, that doesn't maybe feel good to say, then I can sort of dig into the reason why. Right. Yeah. So is it because I don't like the word no? Um, and it, and if it's that, then, you know, I can work through that. If it is another reason, or it's just because, you know, something else is a priority in my life, maybe that, that shouldn't be, well, then I can deal with that. Right. Like, so there's a lot of paths you can go, to kind of dig out the real truth when you ask yourself about priority rather than saying, you know, 
oh, I'm so busy. But, but I, I do, I think that that's, that's really wise. And I think we just, we find ourselves, you know, saying that as just our natural reaction to even somebody asking how we are, you know, and, and that's probably the least important thing anybody needs to know about my life when they ask me how I'm doing. And so I love that you said that. It's also kind of a given that we're all busy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. Well, Lisa, I have been so excited to have you on. This has been so much fun. So tell listeners how they can stay in touch with you, how they can get your books, all the things. It's so easy. It's lisawhittle.com. It's about as easy as it can get. They can find everything there and it's been a joy to be on your show. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you need anything from me at all, I'm super easy to find Rebecca Dotson George on Instagram and Facebook. I'd love to connect with you and hear how the show is encouraging you. And hey, let's help make it possible for even more listeners to be encouraged by hearing stories of my people doing the thing. There's a couple ways you can do that. One, by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. And two, screenshot the show and share it on your Instagram stories. Oh, and make sure you tag me there so we can connect as well. All right. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. And thanks so much for listening to the Do The Thing Movement podcast.